we are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our December breakfast with Pastor Willie George. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. You're very kind. You may be seated. Ooh, that is cool. I just met a guy out here named Soup. Nicknames. How many of you grew up with a nickname? You never got called by your real name for the longest time. How many of you don't want to tell me what your nickname was? <laughs> I don't know why. One town I lived in, there were three guys named Fat. That was their nickname. Fat. And all three of them were skinny as bean poles. I guess that's why you got by with calling them Fat. It's funny how that works, though, that all of these amazing nicknames, and they stick. And uh, sometimes they stick for 50, 60, 70 years, and uh, you never unload them. I love men, and I think that one of the biggest misbeliefs in America today is that somehow we are hurting our country because we've had too many men, and we need men. This country has been feminized, and that's not just a statement, it's the truth. The testosterone levels in today's men, especially younger men, are dropping to the floor it's biological. It's not just a spiritual statement or a, uh, an emotional statement or a, a, a statement of a political view. We biologically don't have the testosterone that our grandfathers had. And so today we're made to feel guilty if we have any kind of strength. And what I want you to see is that strength comes from God. You don't self-generate great strength because you'll run out of it. We have to rely on him to be everything that we need to be. Your family pulls on you. Your wife pulls on you. But who do you pull on? And it's up to you to have that relationship with God to draw strength from him. Years ago, I had a friend who pastored a church out in the state of New Mexico, and he would get up to several hundred people, smaller town, and, and it would go great. And, and I, I told him, I said, the, the best spirit I've ever felt in a church is here. Man, this is a great church. And then the next thing I would hear, he was down to half the people. And then he'd build it back up again. And then it would go down again. It would go up and down and up and down. And one of my staff members went out there and spoke for him. And so when he was out there, he said, Willie, you wouldn't have believed what happened. He said, right before I got up to speak, the guy gets up and starts talking to the church about what a rough week he had been having. And he told everybody that he was thinking about quitting. And I mean, you could just feel the energy in the crowd just go to the floor. And he was talking about how he was thinking seriously about quitting the ministry and all that. And then his wife gets up and she comes and puts her arm around him and begins to console him. And he gets worse. And he says, then I got to get up and follow that. So I called him because we were friends. And I said, dude, I heard about what happened Sunday. I said, you can't do that. These people are looking to you for leadership. 
I'm not saying you can't lean on somebody, but you don't draw your strength from them. You draw your strength from God. That's the only place you're going to get what you're looking for. And I said, if you need to talk to somebody, call me anytime. I know what it's like. And I know there are times you feel like a failure. And I know there are times when you don't know what to do. But, but when you stand in that pulpit and you're talking to people, you're the Christ. You're representing him. You are standing in his place. And weakness is not an option for you then. And I don't know that he listened to me because not long after that, he had to leave the church. But it was such a shame because the, he had everything going for him the ability to communicate. He had a wonderful family. The thing that caused him to fail was he never really understood where to get his strength. Jesus was a man. No man like him ever. In the book of John, the 18th chapter, he's in Gethsemane and he has just finished his prayers and he is under such intense pressure that his skin opens up and the pores begin to exude blood. So he's got blood all over his robe because he's under such great stress. And by the way, there is a medical condition uh, that, that, that relates to that. And he stood up, and at this time, here comes Judas with this mob, and they've come to capture him. And he knows what they're going to do. He knows the Scriptures Everything that the scriptures said about his crucifixion, he had it memorized. He knew in detail every step of the way. In fact, he knew that at some point in time, he would have to drink the vinegar that they were giving him on a sponge. He turned it down several times. First time, it was laced with a drug, and he wouldn't take it because he wasn't going to go through the cross in a drug-induced state. But they had given up offering him the sponge, but he knows the Scripture says that he had to drink it. So one more time, he says, I'm thirsty. And when he said that, they put the sponge up, and he drank it, and then he bowed down his head and gave up the ghost and died. He was so certain of fulfilling every single detail. And he knew what they were going to do. And earlier in John, he had said this, nobody takes my life. Nobody takes it. I lay it down. And in John, he demonstrates it. In John chapter 18, the mob came and he looked at them and he said, whom seek ye? Who are you looking for? And they yelled, we want Jesus of Nazareth. And he looked back and he answered, I am. Now in your King James Bible, the third word is there. It's a little he, I am, he. That he is in italics in your King James Bible because it wasn't there in the original text. He didn't say I am he. He said, I am am. That's the Hebrew for God. They had come to crucify God, but God was also a man. And he had all the feelings of manhood and all the struggles and the weaknesses of manhood. He had temptation like you and I have. He's tempted in every possible way. 
but he resisted it all. And when he looked at this mob and said, I am, John's gospel records that they went backward and they fell on their faces. Now that was not some little ceremony that the Jews went through before they captured a guy. He knocked him down. It was God Almighty letting this crowd know, you can't do anything unless I allow it. When I was a kid, my brother and I were always at home. Before our mom got home from work, we would come home from school. I was four years older than him, and we'd get into fights, and I always won. And he swore he was going to tell on me, so... I always had a little ploy that I used. I'd pick one more fight, and then I'd lay down and let him just beat the tar out of me. He'd just be hitting on me and all that. Then I'd get, have enough, and I'd throw him off and say, okay, you tell on me, I'm telling on you. He never told on me. That's kind of the way Jesus was working here. He let them do it. He said, I am he, and he patiently waited till they collected themselves and got up and came to get him. He was in charge of the whole thing. They, they wanted to take all the 12. And he said, you're looking for me? Let these go. And they listened to him. He had total command over them. They couldn't do anything without him permitting it. But they were so blinded that they took him and crucified him anyway. But he knew what the purpose was. And that's why he willfully submitted so important to understand the purpose of God, his purpose for your life, what he's doing in you, what he wants for you. You won't find it just by feeling out there for it. It's not something that comes to you emotionally. You learn it by gathering information. And all of the information that we gather from God comes to us through a different channel than the way we get most of our information. See, there are two different kinds of knowledge. There is a knowledge that is imparted to us through our five physical senses. We learn by smelling. We learn by seeing. We learn by hearing. We learn by tasting. We learn by touching. These physical senses are amazing in their ability to transmit information to the brain. I was reading an article in National Geographic some years ago when they were talking about the amazing sense of smell. And they talked about how smell was connected to your memory and your memory bank. It has incredible connection to the sense of smell. And there will be times that you will smell a smell that you haven't smelled because maybe you've not been in the climate or not been around grandma's cooking or you hadn't been in a certain house, but, but it's maybe been 50 years since you smell that smell. And immediately, your brain will take you back to the last place that you smell that smell and you'll have a memory you hadn't thought of in years because of that amazing sense of smell. And it's incredible what kind of information that can come to you through those five physical senses. We call it sense knowledge. And unfortunately, sense knowledge can't tell you anything about God because God is not here physically. Yes, he lives everywhere. His presence is everywhere. 
but you couldn't locate him physically. If you had an amazing rocket, you could never find heaven in the universe because it's in another dimension. And by the way, that dimension is real because it existed before this one did. And that dimension created this one. So there's another form of communication that we will call revelation knowledge. It is transmitted spirit to spirit. It comes in a totally different way because you can sense and see things that come to your spirit that don't just come to your ears and eyes and so forth. Let me tell you how I know this. If Jesus doing the miracles that he did in an undeniable way, and and listen, just listen to reason. The Bible makes those bold claims And those miracles have stood the test of time. And almost never do we have people there. I'm not saying it never happens, but they're so out there and in your face that anybody who has any sense in trying to get a message across would say, lighten up a little bit. They might not believe all of that. But the Bible purports that he walked on water, that he healed people who had leprosy and other incurable diseases. The Bible tells us a story of how he opened up blind eyes and healed deaf ears. Those were incredible things that no one had ever done. There were lots of prophets who came before him in Israel, but none of them ever opened up a blind eye and none of them ever unstopped a deaf ear. But the prophets said that when the Messiah would come, he would do that. So he did all of these things, and yet there were still people in the face of all these miracles who did not believe that he was the Son of God, even though they saw these amazing things. There were soldiers guarding the tomb who were under orders, under the pain of death, not to let anything happen to his body. These soldiers were under the jurisdiction of Pontius Pilate, because he's the one that they reported to, and he is the one who would have given permission for them to go to the grave. They would have stood in groups of four around the tomb. They would have been there for about four hours each, and then they would relax, and four more would come and take their place. Anything happens to what it is that they are to secure, they all die, the whole group. I mean, all 16 of them would be taken out. And so they're at the tomb, and on Sunday morning, he rises from the dead. Scripture doesn't say that they saw him. They may have, but it doesn't say so. I don't think personally that they did, because I think he wanted his people to be the first ones to see his physical resurrection. But one thing they did see were the angels who accompanied the blast of power and who also rolled away the stone. They fainted and fell as dead men. And when they were able to collect themselves, they went to the chief priests and scribes and told them what they'd seen. And what was commonly reported in the first century was that while these Roman soldiers were asleep, Jesus' disciples came and stole away his body, which is a self-defeating lie. Because if you're asleep, how do you know who stole a body? How do you know what happened? You were asleep. And if you are a Roman soldier and you confess to being asleep on guard duty, how is it that your life is not taken 
for violation of your code. And so the rulers of Israel knew Jesus was raised. They knew it. But they defied him anyway. That's a hard thing for us to swallow, that someone could see a miracle like that and yet not become a believer. But it is a fact. And the reason is because believing is more than seeing something with your eyes or hearing it with your ears or experiencing it with your senses. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10, for with the heart man believes. You and I don't believe with our brains. We believe in a much deeper way. We believe with the heart. After I received Christ as my Lord and Savior as a 17-year-old kid, you couldn't have beaten that out of me. I knew he was real. How? I don't know. I can't tell you how I know, but I know this. I know it's real, and I know inside it's different than up here. So I want to show you a little story that is fascinating, and there's a reason I'm doing this. This isn't in my notes, and you guys in the sound booth are probably going nuts because my outline is nothing to what you are hearing me speak. And the scriptures aren't going to work. But I'm talking about drawing strength from God so that you can be the man you were meant to be. And if you don't know how to get that strength, if you don't know where it comes from, if you don't know how your spirit is energized, if you don't know what's going to give you this, then you will never be able to be the man you were meant to be because you don't just choose to be a man. You don't just have that. Now, some of us are stronger personality-wise and, and uh, we're a little more stoic. And, and, and you know, I, I marvel at guys who can go through BUDS training in the Navy and become SEALs. I mean, that, that's incredible. But there are people, there are men who will never do anything like that physically, but have just as much fortitude and strength and courage inwardly as a seal. They've got it. But it's something that comes in a totally different way. So I want to read to you from the book of Luke, Luke's gospel. This is after the resurrection. And here is Jesus who just kind of, invites himself into a conversation between two guys that are walking down a road. Luke 24, 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they didn't know him. He purposely wouldn't let them see who he was. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you're sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? He said, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. 
And certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they didn't find his body, they came saying they'd also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just like the women said, but nobody has seen him. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things, to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded or explained to them all the scriptures concerning himself. And the Bible says they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated he was going to go further, and they begged him, saying, Abide with us. It's near the evening. The day's far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Jesus was dealing with men who were emotionally devastated. The rug was totally pulled out from under them. They saw their hero crucified, mercilessly spit upon, unrecognizable. Isaiah 52 predicted how it would happen. It says that his visage was marred more than any man's. In other words, they beat him up so bad he didn't look like a human anymore. And so they saw all of this, and here he was, the one who walked on the water, who stood boldly against the leaders of Israel when they were being hypocritical. He did all of these things. He was a master over death. He raised people from the dead. They were there, and now look at what happened to him. It just was so uh, hard to grab. And they were pointing to, look, he did all these miracles, and he did all this teaching, but they didn't understand that he came to do something more, and that is he came to redeem us. He came to pay for our sins. The miracles that Jesus did didn't pay for our sins. They were great. But the miracles served a totally different purpose. The miracles were merely to identify him. In other words, the prophets said when the Messiah comes, he's going to do this, 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 and this. And Israel was a nation of miracles. But they said he's going to open blind eyes and deaf ears. And he was the only one ever to do that, the first to do that. And so they saw all of this stuff and didn't really understand its full purpose. It was merely to say, this is the one. This is the Christ. And they saw God's hand on him. But then they failed to understand his mission and they failed to understand how important it was that he go to that cross. They didn't get it. They looked only at what they could see with their eyes, only listened to what they could hear with their ears, and their information was incomplete. That's the failure of sense knowledge. Because sense knowledge can't give you God. You can't know God with your five physical senses. That's why it's a waste of time to try to feel God. A lot of people speak of God by saying, I feel him. But our relationship with God is so much deeper than a feeling. This is one of the things I had to learn when I first became a follower of Jesus. Because there were some moments where I could feel his presence in the most amazing way. 
And just hours later, maybe a couple of days later, when I'm not in church, when I'm not around my Christian friends, when I'm not around the music, when I'm all by myself, maybe when I'm at school and there are ungodly kids around me, I, I don't feel Jesus now. And I'm troubled. Why is this? Why can't I feel him? Why, why is it like he's a million miles away? Did he leave? You see, your feelings and my feelings, because they're so much based upon what we see, hear, feel, touch, taste, smell, they, they're based upon mood. If we're not careful, we try to gauge everything by those feelings. Can I tell you that your feelings will lie to you? They will not always tell you the truth. How many marriages have been wrecked because a guy thought his wife was cheating and he accused her of it, but she really wasn't, or vice versa? That happens all the time. How many times have we cut off somebody that we thought, I don't like that person? I, I'll give you a great case in point. When we were about to build this building, our project coordinator introduced me to three different contractors. And I sat and met with them, and there was one, two, three, and I picked the worst one of the bunch because he was engaging, he was easy to talk to, and he was nice. Now, years later, after we built a number of buildings, I looked back, and I thought the guy I liked the least would have done the best job. And it's proven. I've seen what he's done all over the city. But I missed it. Why? Because I went more by what I felt when I was around him, just in talking to him, than I did by what he could do. He just didn't have a warm personality. But he was a heck of a builder. He would have done us a better job. And the guy with the warm personality was in no way qualified to lead this. Let me give you another illustration. Mary gets a visit from the angel. You're going to hear this quite a bit in the next few days as we read scriptures about Christmas or your family does. And the angel says, fear not, Mary. You have found favor with God. But she was deeply troubled at the saying. Mary thought she was in trouble. She's scared to death of the angel. And the angel is saying to her, Mary, you are the most favored woman on earth. There's no woman on earth that has more favor with God than you. And he's got a special purpose for your life. But Mary doesn't feel that way. She's so scared that the angel has to tell her, calm down. It's going to be okay. Fear not. What does that tell me? It tells me that Mary's feelings lied to her and that she had to have a word from another realm to set her straight. If you're going to follow God and draw strength from God, you've got to have a word from another realm to set you straight. So Jesus goes further and he goes to the room where the 12 disciples are, actually 11 because Judas was already out. And they're fearful. And he appears in the middle of the room. This is Luke chapter 24. And the scripture says, as he stood in the midst of them, he says, peace be to you. In other words, he comes in. And the first thing he says, guys, it's okay, peace. Shalom. That's a greeting of everything's fine. And they are scared to death. The Bible says they were terrified and affrighted, supposing they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, do you guys have anything to eat? In other words, how can I convince them that I'm not a spook? I need to take something physical and make it disappear in my body. Give me something to eat. And they gave him some fish and honeycomb, and he ate it. And it didn't float in the stomach of the ghost. It went down like they'd seen him eat many times before. So here they are seeing God. They're seeing the God-man raised from the dead, and they still don't grasp it because their method of receiving knowledge is always through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling. So Jesus has a challenge. I have got to get into the core of these men. I've got to get to the part that believes. I've got to get to the spirit. And so I want to show you what he did. And it's the same thing that he did with the two guys on the road. And he said to them in verse 44, Luke 24, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. In other words, he turned these men around completely. Within 40 days, they were so strong, they were willing to die for their faith. This night, they are hiding out. Most of them ran when Jesus was taken captive. John's the only one who didn't. But now they have completely turned. How did that happen? It happened because they received a totally different kind of knowledge. They begin to receive revelation knowledge. You see, when you hear the scriptures, it's not just information. It's not just a story, but it is a word that's filled with power. God doesn't speak words that are empty and hollow. His word is loaded with power. That's what the scriptures show us, is that God chose to put all of his power in his word. When you read the book of Genesis and God wanted to create the world, how did he do it? He did it with his words. That's where the power is. He started speaking, let there be light. Boom, the light came. Because that's how creative power works when God releases it. He does it with words. And if he's going to convince you, he's going to give you words. And to the extent that you allow those words to make an impression on your spirit, that is the measure by which your faith and confidence in God will grow. And that's where your strength comes from. 
you'll never get it by looking for it out here because it's not out there. I remember when I was a kid and I got my first car and my dad was a traveling salesman. I was 15. Got my driver's license when I was 14, as all of us did in Texas, in the small towns in those days. And dad would be gone and I thought, man, I don't have to be home at 10 o'clock. And we were in a town of 2,200 people. And there were nights that I stayed up all night long, drove that car around town. And I was convinced that I was going to find something if I just stayed up long enough, that something big was going to happen. It never did. I was convinced that some girl was going to crawl out of a window and meet me. Never happened. It's not how you get a girl. And you probably don't want one that crawls out of a window anyway. (laughs) But I remember thinking, it's always out there. And I know that's kind of silly, but there's so many people that are like that. They're looking for out there to fulfill them. And can I tell you that when it comes to knowing Christ and knowing God's power and receiving strength and becoming more like Jesus... It's not out there that brings any of that to you. It's in this word. I love to read it. I read it silently. But then there are times when I want it to make a double impact and I say it out loud. Because the scripture says this about itself. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means you have to repeat it. You don't just get. I will write things down that I need to know that I need to be reminded of. I'll write down those scriptures and I'll put them on big note cards and I'll put them on my desk right there where I can see them until that makes a huge impact on me. I'll keep it there till it's burned into my brain. And it changes me. It becomes part of my belief system. It helps me. I find scriptures that pertain to, if I'm having trouble with temptation sexually, I'll find scriptures that have to do with that and write those things down and put them there so I can see those till I eliminate that and render that temptation ineffective. It's not just willpower that gives you the ability to say no to things you don't need to be doing or things that you should be doing. It is the power of the revealed word of God. That's what changes you. So Jesus did not change the belief of any of these men by showing them the miracles of the resurrection, the places where they'd put the nails in his hands and feet. Didn't change anybody. It was the word that changed them. Think about it had it been the other way then very few of us could ever have become believers because we didn't see the hands and we didn't see the feet. Yet here we are in numbers around the world today where there are more committed Christians than ever before. When I think about the Christian people in Nigeria whose kids are carried off by Muslim extremists, people who are persecuted relentlessly, and yet they still have a deep and abiding faith. Why? Is it because they've had such a great life? When I hear the stories of the persecution of the Christian church in China, 
how unbelievably harsh it is. How the women are separated from the children, taken to prisons and gang raped by the guards, and yet they still have a deep and abiding faith. And the church continues to grow even though it's against the law for them to meet. There has to be something more than people finding something out there. It is a strength that comes from hearing directly from the heart of God. So this is how God communicates. And this is how he imparts strength. If you haven't put out your Christmas list yet, tell your family that you want a Bible if you don't have one that you can easily read and understand. My suggestion to you would be something like the new international version they call the NIV. You can do that at a bookstore. Uh, for those of you who like a little bit more traditional approach, there is the new King James Version. This is what I read from and quote from most of the time. Most of my scriptures that I memorized came from the old King James because it was the only Bible accepted for the first several years that I was a follower of Christ. Of course, the Apostle Paul used it and so forth. <laughs> Even though it wasn't translated until 1611. But anyway, my point is this. Start tapping in on that strength. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to do it by yourself. Life's too tough. Challenge is too great. You will not have the strength by yourself. But with God, nothing can stop you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that I've had to share just a little bit with these guys, with these men. I know how much you love men. I know how much men are under attack nowadays. And I ask you to help these men to rise above those things that are tearing them down. Men have become slaves to pornography. Pornography that takes away their sense of worth, sells them for a piece of bread. It's a cruel thing. The world lays the traps before our eyes, and then when we fall, they rush to point fingers and condemn. It's a disgusting, hypocritical world. But Lord, you're the one who gives us the abilities to rise above, not just sexual temptation, but every other kind of doubt, and fear, any kind of thing that weakens us as men. Fill us with your confidence and your integrity. Help us to be more like Jesus. Show us how to adjust and repair. Show us how to get up off the ground when we have fallen because you are not the leader of perfect people. You're the leader of people who get up after they fall down. And I thank you, Lord, for changing men right now as we speak. And as I pray, I'm going to have you follow me because if you have yet to make a serious commitment to Jesus Christ, you can do it right now with me in this prayer that goes like this, repeated after me. Dear Father God, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that you sent him for me, for all mankind, that he came to give us a model of who you are. He did good things. 
He showed us your grace. He was not a phony. He rose above the wicked world around him. Then he died on a cross, never shrank back from any challenge. Then he rose from the dead. I believe this with my heart. With my mouth, I confess Jesus Christ is Lord. I am saved. I accepted what you offered. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen.